and welcome to season two of ABA Unfiltered. I'm your host, Tim Crilly, and today we have the great fortune of speaking with Angela Geiger. She is the CEO at Autism Speaks, and somehow she agreed to come on and, and, and talk with us, and I'm really excited. Uh, she does have her PR person on with her, just listening to make sure we, we behave ourselves. So, you know, Angela, keep that in mind as we, we travel through this conversation. But thank you so much for joining us. Uh, no real specific topic today, just really uh, more about what, what Autism Speaks is up to and how as a resource they, they can really enhance the, the services and the overall development of, of programming for, for families out there. So Angela, thank you so much. And if you don't mind, maybe take a moment to introduce yourself and, and give us a little uh, insight into who you are and, and, and what, what your main overall objective is at Autism Speaks. Sure. So I've been uh, with Autism Speaks for about four and a half years. Uh, it'll be five in February. And uh, it's been a, a big learning experience for me. Um, my whole career has been in nonprofits and particular, and up until now, really the cause and cure space. So this is my first foray into the disability community, which came with a lot of lessons I needed to learn and a lot of listening I needed to do. And um, part of why um, I was recruited to come to Autism Speaks and why it was so interesting to me is that, you know, Autism Speaks just celebrated, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary. I think people forget that how young this organization is. And um, there's been a lot of changes in that time. And so part of why um, I was brought on board was to really look at what those changes were and to make Autism Speaks more reflective of the full autism community. And it's something I'm really proud that we created a vision. At the time, they just celebrated their 10th anniversary and created this vision um, with stakeholders and community and people with autism um, to create this vision for the next 10. And then um, we're now in our, our first year of our, our second strategic plan that builds on that. And um, so that's why I'm here and that's what we're doing. So what is, what is that? What is the vision? What's, what was that pivot that you guys are looking to make from the first 10 through the next 10? Yeah, there were a couple really major changes and all were reflective of what we heard from the community and how the community had changed over that time period. The first was, you know, if Autism Speaks is, has historically been known for anything, it has been for raising awareness, you know, going blue and those kind of things. But there was a real pivot, as you say, from, um, from just raising awareness to awareness and understanding and acceptance. And that was a huge, um, a huge pivot. The next was um, that continuing our complete uh, focus on research, but broadening it to not just um, to really looking at life enhancing breakthroughs, both for the long term, but also things that could help improve quality of life today. And um, and then the other thing that I kept hearing time and time again from practically anyone I talked to was really making sure that Autism Speaks was the place that anybody could go, regardless of where you were on the spectrum and also across the lifespan. So no matter where you were in age. And so all those three concepts were um, morphed into the mission statement, um, the, the new mission statement that um, really was the building block of everything else we've done. That's great. I, you know, I think you brought up the, the concept of acceptance. And I think that's a huge, huge thing that people don't think about as much anymore, 
which is great because I think the, the level of awareness that groups like you guys have created. Uh, when I first started in the field, people were embarrassed or afraid to tell other people, even people in their family, that they were going through this. And if you think about that attitude and how that might, you know, isolate you even more, it really plays into that idea of, of quality of life. How can you achieve that as a family or as a caregiver uh, if you're not able to to talk about it? And that's something that we've actually been talking about it at Blue Sprague is, you know, when you think about outcome measures, uh, it's not just about, you know, the the goals that are being achieved and the progress that's being made within that, that client's program. It's also, well, how is this impacting the family? How is their mental health improved? How are they able to um, re report back to, to folks to say, you know, I do feel better. This has worked because I'm able to do these things now that I wasn't able to do. So that really, that's really in line with a lot of the, uh, the, the shift that's going on in the community. So that, that's really great to hear that you guys are putting a, putting a focus on that. So uh, autism wasn't a part of your, your, your career prior to this. So was there something specific that attracted you to it? Um, I know this is going to sound odd, but I think the thing that um, attracted me was mostly that my whole career has been about um, taking on big challenges and, and, putting in big solutions. And, you know, I'd, I'd worked in um, cancer and I'd worked in Alzheimer's and it really seemed that autism was kind of one of those, the, the next issue that really needed to be addressed in a much more systematic and population level way so that um, solutions could be put in place that helped both at the, you know, the advocacy level and the standards level and all those things so that communities could thrive. That's great. You know, I think, you know, obviously mission driven work is something that, you know, it appeals to, to people or, or it doesn't because it's not easy. And you're looking and you're, you're interacting with folks that are going through a lot and you have to have the right type of personality to, to be to, to be involved in those sorts of things. So I think obviously you've, you've, you've dealt in that a lot. And I think it's wonderful that, that someone like that is, is driving, driving this, this mission, especially when you think about the year we've had uh, 2020 and the challenges that it's created, uh, you know, across, uh, you know, everyone's life. What have you guys really been focused on or what have you learned through, through this process of, of you, know, you know, COVID perhaps families losing their services or maybe choosing to put pauses on services or, you know, the, the other challenges that arise from just an overall upheaval in, in the daily life. What, what's sort of been the, 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 um, the talking points or the, the direction that you guys are taking? Well, I have to tell you, we started off 2020 um, with such enthusiasm. Um, as I said, we well, that's just- That's so silly. <laughs> you know, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary. We actually um, had a significant rebrand of the organization, you know, shown by, the iconic blue pin that everybody knows about Autism Speaks. And actually I've got the, the new pin on here um, that actually takes the that blue, keeps the iconic nature of it, but shows the diversity of the spectrum with different colors. And that really became the building block of all these other things. So in early February, we had a big party, celebrated everything, thought, oh. Well, at least you got to see everybody right before you couldn't see everybody. <laughs> exactly. So that's great. 
And one of the most important things is we launched, we asked for what our birthday present, our anniversary present could be, was to make 2020 the year of kindness. And so we have been um, continuing our work on that, uh, creating a million, um, our goal is a million acts of kindness over the years. And uh, let's just say there's been a lot of opportunities for kindness this this year. So, you know, then, um, then COVID hits and, um, you know, our offices shut down, as you just said, community services shut down everything. And we've completely, absolutely moved into, okay, what do we need to do for our families now? And one of the things that I thought I was really proud of is that our team created the um, COVID-19 Autism Research Community Task Force. And it's a coalition between Autism Speaks, the Autism Science Foundation, um, the International Society for Autism Research, and the Simons Foundation Research Initiative, and really came together and created this whole um, list of resources and interventions and all sorts of things for families. Um, we also created uh, virtual events, virtual training, and we just kept adding. And like every day we kept doing more and doing more. And so uh, that pay, you know, everything's sitting in one place on our website. It has been one of our most popular places people are going. And we continue to add to those those resources and there's sections for families and for adults and for educators. There's resources in multiple languages. And so um, we also, we have an autism response team, which is a group that takes phone calls and chats and emails. And um, our call volume went up so significantly because people didn't know. Hey, this is closed down. What do I do now? And um, one of the other things that we're, we've launched and there's more coming are also a series of, we, do, we have a program on, on caregiver skill training. So it's teaching parents or caregivers how to do these interventions when you can't get to services. And they're, they're these lovely little vignettes um, done cartoon style and that really should demonstrate what you should be doing to um, you know, get down on the floor, be with your child, you know, play, you know, those kind of things. So uh, those are the kind of things we did. We also increased, we have a program called CARES grants, which are um, direct assistance grants. And those, uh, we, we had s- several very generous donors who added to that so that we were able to provide more grants directly. That's, that's fantastic. Did you guys find yourself uh, being contacted by any like funding sources, things like that? Were they seeking your advice on maybe what what they should be doing, or were they making? Were you feel like they were maybe making some of their decisions in, independent of, of any sort of insight you guys might have as a, as a group? Yeah, I don't know how much they reached out to us, but what I will say is there were funding sources that we never had before that were interested in in helping to serve this community. Okay. That's no. right. You know, yeah. oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. It's just with telehealth and, and the things that they started to allow mm-hmm. that, you know, made, made us a little nervous as, as providers to say, okay, how does this work? We're just, there's no real guardrails or things like that, but you know, certain organizations were able to, to use it and use it very effectively. And it feels like in some cases, it's something that we will see moving forward. So it just, it, it, it made me wonder if maybe they were getting some secret advice from, from well, like you guys. To be honest, on that front, um, yes, it's actually been, 
we've long had the autism treatment network, uh, which is uh, currently 12 uh, hospitals, children's hospitals across the country who um, work together to create clinical guidelines. Well, part of our strategic plan already, even before this happened, was to expand that to networks so that outside, you know, if you couldn't get to one of those 12 hospitals, what else could happen? So creating both a learning network and this, um, which telehealth is a part of, and it really, um, we're seeing, we, part of what happened was we accelerated some of those programs because of the needs and uh, have had some really good uh, participation and examples so far and a lot of pickup. Yeah. So, I mean, part of my, my career, I, I spent on the uh, healthcare side. I was with, with a large um, national healthcare group running the, the autism program. And, you know, it made me very popular and unpopular for, for, for different various reasons that we don't have time for it today. But I do know that when things, you know, when you, when you want to see change like this, it's a little scary for, for folks on that side. So from our standpoint, it was really, it was really powerful to see decisive decision-making because of how it did impact these families and at least allow some level of continuity to their life, even if it was, you know, compacted, less care or whatever, but it still allowed some of these families to be tethered to their, their normalcy. So that was really, that was really important to us, you know, and, and I see coming out of this and I don't know, you know, you know, where you guys stand on it or, or moving forward, but I think we will see a shift in the way services are delivered. And uh, you know, when you look at the, the, the various technologies that are, that are coming around, I, I think it's going to, to have a, a, a profound impact on, on families moving forward. So I don't know if you guys have had a chance to sort of look into some of those those new technologies as they they relate to, to care, especially in the diagnostic field, but we're excited to see where it goes. Yeah, you know, I would definitely say that one of the other things that happened was, you know, we, we maintained our, our traditional advocacy priorities, but one of the other things shifted were um, some of our, particularly our state advocacy priorities in really making sure that some of those challenges you're talking about, you know, to make sure that there was increased funding for home and community-based services and, you know, those educational supports are protected with the IDEA changes and, you know, eligibility for economic impact pay payments. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we've been doing webinars to educate um, legislatures, but also parents. And we've done those so far in 25 states with a you know, path to doing it everywhere. They're incredibly well attended. And we've either preserved or actually in some states expanded what coverage looks like for um, for people with autism and their, and their families. So that's something that also, you know, is one of those shifts, um, but is going to pay off in the long run because they're not just all pandemic time limited. Yeah. You know, and I think obviously it's not just about the having to stay home and, and not not have care. There's also a giant, um, you know, uh, financial impact that is, yeah. you know, you know, sort of ravaging some of these families and the ability to maybe not be able to, to pay for the care moving forward or you've lost insurance and, and now what do you do? So I think that's something that uh, really is going to be uh, a, a problem if, if we can't sort of get things going, going back to, to normal in, in, in some regard soon. So I don't know if you guys have seen some of those sort of tragic stories and, and advice you might have to, to folks that find themselves in that position. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, you know, 
a lot of it depends by state and so you know in an individual situation and so uh you know calling that autism response team and help having someone help you walk through that we also have great resources on on the website and uh and the other thing I would say is one of the interesting things is that as we take these calls for what financial assistance people need, we were really surprised that the number one um, request was for food assistance. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, it's that's heartbreaking. It, it's it's really you know you you're, you're dealing with certain things and you add that on top the amount of stress and, and worry. It, it's probably unfathomable. But it's great that there are folks like you out there that are on the other end of the phone. So that's that's really good to know. Uh, you know, you've brought up the um, autism response team uh, a few times, and I think it's a, a wonderful thing. I, I recently had a situation where a family member of mine found out that her her daughter had had been diagnosed, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to you know pat myself on the back, but I'm a pretty well-connected guy. I, I know a lot of BCBAs. I know a lot, you know, across the country. I've, you know, I, I've, I've lived a, a life or two in, in this community and I had a really hard time helping her find services in a place where it didn't feel like it should be hard. So it was a real eye-opening experience for me, someone who speaks the language, knows the people. And it took me about a month for her to find someone that could actually come out and, you know, do that functional assessment for her. And maybe that seems quick. I, I, I don't really know, but, you know, I, it, it, it was a three, three month gap from the time she called me to the time she had someone show at her front door. So what advice do you, do you guys really give to, to, to families that are just getting a diagnosis or, you know, are, are very new to, to services? What's the, 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 the few things that they should be considering as they enter into this well, you know, I think the one of the pieces of advice is kind of what you did, which is the second you think there might be something, jump on it. And you don't need to have a diagnosis to get intervention, right? And so sometimes that diagnosis part is the longest part of this longest part, country. Yeah. So really, um, you know, working on that, I'm sure that this time frame made it even more difficult. Um, sure, it did. That's a good point. Um, and, um, but... Uh, you know, just kind of figuring out and sticking on it. And it is, it, it's not an easy process. And there's some places that are rich with services and there are others that aren't. And uh, it also, you know, we found that it also depended a lot where um, COVID rates were, you know, what you were, you were seeing in some places, service was almost undisturbed for a period of time. And in others, um, uh, it wasn't. One of the things that we have been, um, encouraged to see is that um, many, but not all, states have been prioritizing um, kids with um, IEPs in the coming back to school and coming back to classroom full time, which I think is a, a really, it's a smart choice because first of all, those classrooms are by nature smaller. Small, so, and there's no one else on campus. Absolutely. Right. And, um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of um, from parents of, you know, they went from having, I don't know, four, five, nine um, external supports, you know, whether it's aides in school or T or P, whatever it is, to mom or dad, you know, and that's it. And that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we had a, 
a season one episode talking about, you know, this was before school was getting ready to start and everything, just talking about how, how do you even manage an IEP at home? If a mom's trying to keep, uh, you know, a kid in front of a computer, it's really, it, it's really not the most effective way to, to, to treat. And so it, the more that they can get on campus as we move forward in this will really be a, a have a huge impact for these families. So I will also say on the opposite end of the spectrum, we've also heard stories about kids um, with autism who are just thriving because they're sitting at home, they're getting their work done, and then they get to do what they love to do and they can handle it. And they actually are thrilled not to have to go through all this stuff. So, you know, and it's, it's autism, right? It's a spectrum and you just have to have individualized support. And that's why I think, you know, you go back to the telehealth question moving forward when it relates to, you know, just ABA therapy or, you know, other types of therapy, it's not going to be right for everybody, but there will be a group of, of individuals that it really is almost perhaps a better, a better form of, of treatment for them. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds over the next couple of years and, and how this uh, evolves. Cause you know, it, it helps people see more, more clients It you know, makes better app network access things like that. So there's a lot of solutions, you know, from a practical standpoint, as, as well as a, as a clinical one. Yeah. Some of the things, you know, that we've been looking at are um, how virtual reality, for example, can be used to improve social skills and also employment, practicing for employment. And um, also things like eye tracking and facial expressions to, to track behavior, to give you a more um, objective evaluation of progress or where people need to do more work. And uh, one of the things that we've um, started to do at Autism Speaks is explicitly include technology as part of our science grants. Um, because we do know, as you said, it's, it's emerging and it can be, um, it's certainly cost effective. And, um, and if you can get more real-time feedback, you know that that's you know, such an important part of progress. Yeah, so I, you know, it's probably time to get a couple major health plans together to to start really talking about this. How we can all sit down as a community, because in the long run, it's it's going to be good for the families, but it's also going to be good for them because you're going to have stronger, more concrete data driving decisions based on you know what what should what should be happening next for this this family and, and this individual. So I, I would love to to learn more about that, and that's probably a rabbit hole I could go down for whole separate conversation and I don't even understand most of it. So, uh, but you know, that's, that's, that's beside the point. Hey, if uh, it's okay, if you don't mind just continuing on that 2020 and how, sure, yeah, please. if I may, the other big thing, obviously that happened in 2020 was this, um, imperative on social justice issues. And while autism speaks has, I think always been known for, being very respectful and responsive to diversity on the spectrum. Uh, we realized in talking to internal staff and our and some of our stakeholders that we needed to do a better job across the board with diversity. And so uh, we've put some, you know, the board's looking at it. We've got a, a team um, who is actually right now reviewing um, firms to come in and help us do a, both an internal and external assessment. Um, we are committed to doing, um, to growing in this area. And, you know, we actually started out calling this diversity, um, inclusion 
and um, equity, but added access after we started doing some of the work because we realized, especially through our advocacy work, that it's that access to care and to, you know, the financial kind of things we just talked about that are, are really important. So, um, you know, we've got a lot of work to do and a lot of listening to do, but it's something we're committed to getting better at. That's great. We, we actually have a similar thing going on here. We formed an internal group. Uh, Keith, our CEO, was doing a we're, we're getting back to normal tour and drove to basically all of our clinics across the country. And it was right around the time that, you know, the, um, this movement really took, took shape. So we actually formed a, a committee. And, and if you go back and if you have a chance, we did an episode um, last season about that, that, that group. So, you know, if, if there's ever anyone over on your side that would like to, to chat a little bit with, with our team that that's working on that as well, you know, there could be some, some lessons learned from each other. So that that's fantastic. And it's something that has been a long time coming. So it's nice to see, you know, big, powerful organizations really take heed and, and really push that forward. So that's really exciting. Okay, before I let you go, uh, and I, again, I appreciate your time and, and your 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 passion around, around these topics, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, because we ask all of our guests. Um, last season, um, we, we finally, I think, came up with a solution for whether a, a hot dog is a sandwich, and we plan on really um, producing that, that, that data and, and really taking that on tour on the, on the lecture circuit, maybe get some, some published, some published journal articles about it. But this, this year we're moving on. We, we need to, we need to solve for, for a different, different question. So it's a yes or no question. So you need to either decide yes or no, but then I, I need your rationale as to why you decided on yes or no. Is that okay? I guess so. Okay. Um, is cereal soup. No. Oh, you want my rationale? Yeah, yeah. You need to. You need to rationalize it. Uh, because it's cereal. <laughs> See, you can't. You have to be able to write a definition. Is you know, usually we're asking you know BCBAs and you know sort of define it. But um, so just you can you get, give me one thing as to why, and it. It can be arbitrary. I don't care. If you can't really think of too many crunchy soups. Okay. Or that the main ingredients in cereal are main ingredients in soup. And you have to add the milk. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, at, at the end of season two, you'll be able to listen and, and know what, what side of the, uh, the issue you, you fell on. So, but you're... You're the first. You're the first person that that will be be answering this in the uh, in the podcast sphere. So uh, you at least have the the um, the honor of going first. So I really appreciate it, uh, Angela. It was so nice to meet you, and I really appreciate it. And you know, I, I'd love to have you back in, in in future years just to see where you guys are on your on your mission. But as always, thank you to everybody tuning in to ABA Unfiltered, and I look forward to communicating with you in the future. Thank you.